Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Guys Who Law. I'm Jesse. I'm Andrew. And today we are going to be talking about something that many of you have probably seen, or if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. It's called When They See Us. It's a four-part series on Netflix that is just so powerful. It is crazy. If you haven't heard the story of the Central Park Five before, even if you have, I recommend that you watch this. First of all, just learning about the story, you'll become angry. But watching it, like you know, for four hours straight unfold, um, four plus hours is is angering. Yeah, four hours felt like a marathon, and I'm not saying like it was an enjoyable. It was. It takes a lot out of you. So just to tell tell yeah. you what this is, this is a four part series that details the wrongful arrest, conviction, and incarceration of five teenage boys in connection with the assault and rape of a 28-year-old jogger in Central Park back on April 19, 1989. Raymond Santana, Kevin Richardson, Antron McRae, Yusuf Salam, and Corey Wise, they were aged 14 to 16, they were convicted of various felonies in two different trials. McRae, Salam, Santana, and Richardson served between five and almost seven years in juvenile detention facilities, while Wise was tried as an adult and served 12 years in prison. But they didn't do it. That's right. They were exonerated, and their convictions were thrown out in 2002 after a felon named Matthias Reyes. You know, he was already serving a life sentence on an unrelated crime. He comes forward, and he confesses to the Central Park attack. This was actually confirmed through an investigation by the DA's office and the NYPD. His DNA even matched elements that were taken from the crime scene. It's remarkable that this happened. They uh, So he gets released early, um, Corey Wise. Their records are thrown out. They're no longer registered as uh, sex offenders, and now they're exonerated. They end up suing the city of New York. They receive a $41 million wrongful conviction payout, and then an additional $3.9 million in a settlement with the state. It's a remarkable story. I loved this show, but, oh, my gosh, was it was it a lot to handle. Yeah, and I, I think the first and last episodes were probably the most powerful. So you might be asking yourself, well, how did this happen? How did five people that were innocent be convicted of a horrible crime and sent to jail for many, many years? Yeah. And what happened was all these kids were young kids, you know, teenagers, 14 to 16, and they were interrogated at the police at, at the police station. Well, first of all, there yeah. was this riot there was in Central riot. Park. Yeah, there was this riot. Like there was there was people who were getting beat. There was a lot of people that were actually arrested as part of this riot that went down, and they were there. Uh, it's questionable if they were part of the riots or not. That's a that's a sep- that they were ultimately found. But the police uh, automatically that. assumed that since they were in the park and like yeah. during, over during the nighttime and in the general vicinity that day, that right. they that they had to be associated right. with. Uh, the rape that occurred. Yeah. So the police were trying to find a way to pin it on these five guys. Oh, and by the way, no eyewitnesses identifying no them. No physical. No DNA of theirs on the victim except for this hair that may have matched Kevin Richardson, but at the end of the day, it was said that it could have been the victim's hair. So there was no DNA, no eyewitnesses, none of the any of the other victims who were assaulted that night ever identified them. The only people that identified them were other defendants who were ultimately uh, arrested uh, as part of that. But So what were the police going to yeah, do? So what, what ultimately happened is... Uh, coerced confessions. So the police put these these young boys in a room, uh, most without attorneys, separately, separately without without attorneys present, 
um, without their parents present a lot of the time. Even though the NYPD and the DA's office says that's not true, some of the kids did have their parents present. Right. Um, but they they threatened them that they you know weren't going to leave unless they uh, you know said that they were associated with the crimes that occurred there and then point the fingers towards other people in their group. So because these kids were so scared and they didn't have much experience with the law before or any experience, um, they didn't really know what to do and kind of went with it because they just wanted to leave the police station. Yeah, there's one thing to say that detectives legally, they can lie to you. They can lie about, you know, their sympathy for you. They can lie in certain ways and, you know, kind of misguide you. One thing that they can't do is make false promises saying, hey, if you tell us the truth, you're going to be free to go, which was basically what they were saying. And each one of these kids, they were basically being coached into implicating the other person. Yeah. And at first they said, no, I didn't do it. Yeah. Like they were crying. Like, why are you keeping me? And then the police officers were getting very aggressive with them. They beat one of them. Yeah, they were getting very aggressive. These are young kids. They just didn't know what to do. They wanted to get out of there. Didn't give them food. There wasn't food for a while. They were held for a long, long time. Hours. So hours. At, at some point, they said they want. They just said anything to get out of there. Yeah. And point the finger. Now, um, and that confession, that whole scene in the first episode was so chilling. Corey Wise is the only one out of them. Who, again, and he had a learning disability um, that they made a point of that in the actual show to say that. And you see him being figuring out the answers to say he actually is the only one out of them who says that he raped this woman. But again, his details don't match what really happened. And he to her. actually wasn't in, even in the park that night, right? Was, didn't, didn't he come with it with his friend just because he needed someone to he gets arrested you ready for this the police were looking for his friend uh, Yusuf Salam and he's friends with him they said you're not a suspect but he decided to go with Yusuf just to keep just to be with him and he wasn't even in the park that night so it's crazy how he can be convicted of the crime and he he got the worst punishment he went to prison worst worst punishment and he was exonerated later on uh, and that confession is just so bad. I, we're going to get back to the confession. I just want to go back to the beginning of this whole show. Yeah. Uh, first, the cast. Yeah. Great cast. Yeah. And I didn't know who was in it. I, same way I didn't know too much about the Central Park Five until I, I saw this. I, I didn't either, yeah. I love that Felicity Huffman plays the villain. Nurse Jackie. First of all, she's going to jail, Okay. <laughs> You got the woman who got implicated in the college admission scandal, pled guilty, and then it's weird seeing her as the villain here. She plays Linda Fairstein, who's the Manhattan DA for the Sex Crimes Unit, the head of that, and the docu- the, the miniseries. If, again, if you believe everything in the miniseries, they make her seem like she was out to get these boys no matter what. Yeah. She knew the evidence didn't match up. She didn't care. She was going after them. She was uh, racist, and uh, that's the way they— And they this was a, pol- a political decision for her, too, because— at that time, I think there was there was more crime going on. I think than than now. That yeah. and and they wanted they needed like a win to come off as hard on crime. Right. And 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 the and the person that was raped was you know an investment a young young girl, twenty eight years old. You know, uh, investment banker, a good career. Um, so there was a lot of concern, you know, from the com- from the community. Not that she deserves more concern, but that happens sometimes. Like if she, you know, wealthy young girl, um, she got more press. Well, first of all, do you think 
how ironic was it seeing Felicity Huffman in a courtroom in that way? And I'm like, oh, she just was in the courtroom in real life. Yeah. I thought it was like ironic. I was like, is that Felicity I Huffman? I didn't even think about that until you brought it up. I was like, oh, so she filmed this way before everything happened with the college admission scandal, right. clearly. Yeah. Uh, also, the bad guy from Die Hard 2 was in it. Oh, he that's played true. one of the detectives. Yeah. Had to look at him carefully. What's uh, the what's the letter, uh, the, the prosecutor's name? Uh, Oh, the the Her, one that I, the, she, she was in the yeah. Departed. Elizabeth uh, Letterer yeah. was the lead prosecutor, but Vera Farmiglia. Yeah, Vera Farmiglia. Farmiglia yeah, she yeah. played her. Yeah, she was good. I she mean, was very she good. Was good. She, yeah. John Leguizamo, who's an alumni from my acting school, the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. Oh, wow. Love a good John Leguizamo performance. By the way, if you didn't tune into the the new Roger Errol special on Showtime, <laughs> you can catch Jesse at the beginning. That's right. First episode, right? First episode, about ten minutes in, twelve minutes in. I yeah. have a little scene with an actor named Russell Crowe. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is gonna be my last podcast because uh, fame has taken a hold of me, and I have a lot more things to do. I'm now gonna be co-hosting Joe. Rogan's podcast. What? Uh, yeah, sorry, Andrew. Uh, Amba's going to jump on. Uh, fame. Anyway, uh, Famke Johnson, Jansen was in it. Uh, she's the one who plays in the X-Men movies. Which one? What, what's Jean Grey. Oh, yeah. She, she saved the at, day at, at the, the end. end. At the end, yeah. yeah she, I was wondering if that was her. Yeah, that was, was her. She had the glasses on. They have a lot of these characters. You're like, oh, is that who I think it is? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. She's, also, had, she's also in Rounders. She is in Rounders. Yeah. They had our favorite uh, character from The Affair in Dawson's Creek, Joshua Jackson. Great performance by him as great. one of the lawyers. Great. Yeah. Loved him. He was great. Yeah. Only in one episode. Yeah. Sad. But yeah. Okay. Uh, what I thought was amazing was that the actors, first of all, for uh, four of the five kids they four of the five of the central park five they had young actors and then they had older actors showing the, the distance in time mm -hmm. but the actor who was played Corey wise i didn't realize it was him throughout the whole thing yeah he played like a 15 year age range and, yeah. and convincingly i thought it, like it was i thought it was the same person but it, it was the same person but i was shocked by that i looked at it and i said wait a second did but did they film this like in a few months? Like, okay, cool. so How? they're like, here, you're gonna film this first scene, first part where you look like a 16 year old kid and you look like a baby. Great makeup job. Great, and then in four months or maybe five months, you're gonna film the other part. You're gonna grow a beard and get muscles. Yeah, which was crazy. It was, yeah. And he was. They're they're amazing actors. They were, and honestly, the director. I thought the director did a good job of like uh, showing that time lapse between yes. when they were. In, in prison and then out of prison. Yeah. Like she went through each one of the, she structured it well because she kind of brought you through the story of each of them yeah, and didn't like hop around a lot. Um, so you really got to know each one of them very, very well. And you got to see like what they what they went through and see their families. And they dedicated a whole episode to what Corey went through because he was in prison. And that episode was longer, I think, than the rest. It gave me chills what happened to him in prison. Yeah. I mean, it's the worst stuff that could happen to somebody. And he had such a positive outlook throughout the whole thing. Like, yeah. he really, I mean, they were really brutal times for him. Um, but it was just, it was really tough to watch at times. So, can I tell you an interesting story? Sure. So, when I was at, uh, when I was in law school, um, one of the Central Park Five came in to do a lecture for our law school. Really? Raymond Santana. Oh, wow. Um, so he came in. It was one of the best lectures I've ever seen in my life. They showed the Ken Burns movie. There was a documentary about Central Park Five. By the way, the Ken Burns movie, is that the Ken Burns effect that's on the MacBook Pro? <laughs> you know, like when you do uh, your iMovies and it says do the Ken Burns effect? Is that him? Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. All right. Maybe. Sorry. So, yeah. So, so Raymond Santana spoke after that. 
I, that was the first time I had ever heard the this this story. Um, Cardozo, my law school, just to give a plug, started the Innocence Project. Mm-hmm. So the Innocence Project, I believe, was in, involved with exo- the exoneration of the Central Park Five, or this is what kind of spurred that the creation of it. But I, at the time, I was working at a film production company, and I approached them and said, "Guys, like I." I just like saw this movie by Ken Burns and I watched and I, and I met one of the Central Park Five. I think this would like make a great movie or, or miniseries. Really? And I pitched it to the entire company. I was just like a legal intern there, but I, I brought it up. Like I said, which company? Partner. It was it was called Film Nation. Okay. So now everybody knows who missed out on the opportunity. They didn't like it. They said, "Nah, we're good." Yeah, they said, "No, pass." Oh, yeah. So now they could have been uh, the executive producers on this. I could have been an executive producer on this. Is this like Screwed the up. time a few months ago when you told me that when you were younger, you had this idea of taking uh, everybody has a profile with pictures and you can post on their page and you called it the <laughs> book was, of gonna, face? Yeah, I was going to call it the book of face. The, the face. And then Mark Zuckerberg came yeah, along and yeah. changed it over. Yeah. I wanted like the Wingle to, <laughs> Exactly. I wanted to create an electronics company based off of a fruit. Yeah, that one was stolen as yeah, well. So similar, yeah. Yeah. While we're at it, I also invented fire. So <laughs> that was great. You're welcome. You're welcome, world. Yeah. That's a, so that was a good Thanks idea. They didn't come up with it. No. Mm. I didn't I didn't I didn't like pitch a cast. Now seeing the cast that they they brought in. Good You're choices. the idea man. You give the ideas. You don't have to worry. I was going to let details. them figure out the cast. If you have any other like movie ideas, your track record seems to be pretty good. Let me know. I'll join in on the next one. Yeah. <laughs> if you need an actor. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So what I thought was amazing about this miniseries is the fallout from yeah. everything that's happened. Yeah. Uh, obviously, people have watched this and they're interpreting it as true. You know, they're the, these are the the person who created this uh, miniseries. Did a ton of research about it, but yeah. also, I mean, legal, this, legal, legally, the crux of it is is true. They were exonerated. Well, they yes, were exonerated. There's yeah. a, so much of it is true. Yeah. She did take uh, the director did take liberties here and there, but the, it's true. And uh, most of it is based upon the firsthand accounts of the Central Park Five. Each yeah. one of their accounts. What's fascinating is that people have been looking at this and now they're outraged. They're outraged at the NYPD. They're outraged at the district attorney's office and key players have had to face consequences of it. And we'll get into what that is. I'm fascinated by it because look at the power of entertainment and media. You know, the same thing happened with the R. Kelly show that came out and the same thing happened when um, the Leaving Neverland documentary came out or when they had the Miami Herald articles about Jeffrey Epstein or the Boston Globe articles about the church. Look how this can have such an impact and make people pay. So if you look at what happened to some of the players, Linda Fairstein, she was having a successful career. She authored like crime books. Uh, She has always maintained that but she's always maintained that she did nothing wrong. She believes more people were involved in this attack. Well, after this miniseries came out, her publisher drops her, and she was forced to resign from a board that she sat on. Yeah, Vassar. Vassar. Yeah, and then Elizabeth Letterer, the lead prosecutor in this case, she was an adjunct law professor at Columbia Law School, and after the miniseries came out, she was forced to resign from Columbia. Do you think that's right, though? Do you think that it's right that people are looking at this form of— I mean, it's— it is entertainment. It is a movie. Yeah, taking this and saying, "Oh, this is gonna have real life repercussions for people." Um, I think it's shedding light on issues that maybe a lot of people either 
didn't know about or didn't know enough about, and, or now they're feeling public pressure about it. So maybe it's not right that it's happening just now. It probably should have happened like way earlier. Well, but, I'll, I'll yeah. play devil's advocate. Yeah. Look, I have no reason to believe anything in this is not true. Yeah. But let's say um, Linda Fairstein says this was just completely inaccurate about the how the confessions happened and how the police investigation happened it's it's a one-sided doc it's a one-sided miniseries if she's right let's say she's right is it fair then but to do this because they were exonerated though so like at the end the uh, you know she but let's say it wasn't lost. let's say look they could come back and say look it's just the evidence we had at the time this is what we saw we believe their confessions that they really did this uh looking back yeah, maybe they had – looking back, we agreed that these convictions should have been vacated, but you can't blame us for what happened back in 1989. I mean, I'm sure she was going to say that because she's trying to protect herself, herself protect her legacy. But again, should the should people have the power to do this based upon an entertainment series? I mean, I would, I would, I would like to think that most of it is, uh, is factual, but, you know, I don't want to go through every single – item in the, in the miniseries but well the, the the miniseries again no reason to believe that any of it's inaccurate but there was some things that they glossed over to show how innocent these boys were for example raymond santana okay eventually admitted years later that he did assault and rob in the central park that night now he never admitted to attacking yeah. uh the central park jogger but they should they kind of showed parts of that in the miniseries but he, they, showed, they, they like never showed him attacking biker, anybody a biker they were like kind of yelling at and remember in central park when that biker came and they were like pushing they were yelling at her or pushing her around she testified on the stand yeah but not really and then and then they uh you know they're them being part of this riot that happened, that was also glossed over, and the fact that other defendants pointed the finger at them. That, that was never shown in the documentary either. So obviously life is a little bit more gray. It's not so black and white. Doesn't mean the documentary is wrong, but again, should it have all that power? I mean, that alone maybe shouldn't, but the story still has a lot of power. Like what ha what what happened, and this document, this uh, miniseries, you know, it expanded that story so that more people can know what right. happened. The, even in the documentary, it came out years ago. You, you would think just that, like, these same results would happen. But a documentary is apparently not powerful enough to spur this sort of reaction. My friend, it's Netflix. It's the power it's of Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Uh, Netflix. Now, one person who <laughs> clearly, you know, has nothing, can't hide away from it is Donald Trump. Because yeah. what they did in this miniseries is they took his actual interview yeah. that he had he took it online and an ad that he took out across different publications spent $85,000 to get this ad that said bring back the death penalty bring back the police I'm paraphrasing here he basically wanted the Central Park Five who were young boys to be executed yeah and he still stands not necessarily by the ad but he still believes that the city shouldn't have um, agreed to the settlement of $41 million. And he still believes the detectives and the DA's office. He says, well, I I'm not changing his position. So he still doesn't think that these – it seems to be interpreted that they don't – he still thinks that they are responsible for what happened. Uh when, when have you seen Donald Trump back down on, on a position that he's made? Let me ask you, do you think he really believes that they're not innocent, or do you believe that he just will never admit that he's wrong? I, I think the, the latter, that he will never admit if he's wrong. 
I don't so, think he actually believes that they're that they are not innocent. So you're saying if he thinks this it's raining out, but it was just you know water on the if so yeah. if he were have to tweet, you, have you seen ra- him on TV? Yeah. No, no, no. So you're saying let me ask you if it's <laughs> raining outside. No, no. He goes to his window. There's water all over the window, and he tweets bad day, raining, total loss. And then he goes outside, and it's bright, sunny because someone all they did was spray water on the window. You think he'd be like, I was wrong, or be like. Not even a mistake. It, it was cloudy. There was clearly some drops here. Water never reaches that high from a hose. A hundred percent. Have you seen his his, uh, his after the his inauguration when Sean Spicer went out there and he spoke about it? Biggest biggest crowd you've ever seen ever. I wish we could talk in generalities <laughs> <Period>. like that. <laughs> yeah. Like greatest podcast this is the best one we've ever done. Totally ever. amazing. We have the highest rated podcast in the country, probably the world. <laughs> I have the best shirt. I own a lot of shirts. Best shirt ever, you know, frankly. This water bottle, best H2O. And, you know, they, frankly, they let you drink it. They let you drink the H2O. Uh, no, that was not always the case. You know, you know, you know what I was, you know what hit, hit me, uh, you know, more that was more distinct than when I saw the documentary and uh, had that lecture by Raymond Santana? It was crazy to see how young these kids were. Oh, like the, the actors babies. that portrayed the the uh, Central Park Five when they're brought into the police station, so they're so young, so young, so young. So young. That was one of the things it's, too, because yeah. under the law, if someone is that young, they need to be accompanied by a parent before these commissions. But the idea that these fourteen-year-old kids or fifteen-year-old kids would, would could do, do that s- such a horrible just seeing them, I was like, how could they do that? Yeah, one of them was like literally a baby. Yeah, he was so small. I mean, his dad was like, he doesn't even know how to like approach women. How yeah. is he gonna? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what this document, what this miniseries also did is shed a light on the criminal justice system. And I'm not even talking about what it was like for Corey Wise in prison, but also there was really interesting with Raymond Santana. So he gets released, uh, out of a juvenile detention center. He has to register as a sex offender and he can't, he can't, uh, even communicate with other felons. So he puts his options really limited. Yeah, there was a scene where he was at a diner or something like that, and his his parole officer was telling him that, uh, you know, you check off that you're a felon, you know where they're gonna put you in the back of in the back, you know, washing dishes there, and you're gonna be right next to another felon. You know what you're not allowed to do? Talk to other felons. Then you're gonna be right back in jail. What's interesting is they get out of prison, but then they enter into another prison. Right. It's a pr- and and it's funny we're doing this because we're covering another case actually on law and crime, a real life case. Uh, where there's this guy who admitted to murdering this woman. Terrific. Nothing excuses what he did. Mm-hmm. But his th- his thing is, he's like, I get released from prison. My parole officer gets me fired from the job I'm at. I'm on the street. I'm homeless. I have nothing to do. I can't go anywhere. Uh, so I robbed somebody and then killed them. And he's like, this is the prison made me this way. And while he is an insane person and totally evil, is there something to be said that the criminal justice system just keeps breeding people like in the sense that if you do something wrong yeah that's it that's a tar on your a stain in your life for the rest of your life yeah i mean what happens what, what you know it, it can create an endless cycle like um because what happened with raymond yeah well i mean what happened is he he had he couldn't get a job anywhere and he, res- he had a resort to dealing drugs that was the only way he can make money so yeah. eventually he got caught and i'd go i'd go back to jail yeah and that's the it's scary it's scary in a way because i was like okay so what are they going to be doing and they, I was like, what jobs can they get? One of them was not even a barista at Starbucks. He was just like a guy that like cleans things up at Starbucks. Then there was a, 
one guy cleaning a movie theater. Not yeah. the bad jobs at all, but yeah. like what jobs can they get? You know, one of them wanted to uh, become a teacher, and they're like, you can't become a teacher. You can't become a teacher. You can't know? be around kids. Can't be around kids. Yeah. Um, and so it seriously limits. That's the why the their uh, convictions getting vacated was so important. It's not just that Corey Wise got out of jail a few years earlier. It's that even when he got out, he would have been his options would have been so limited. So now that their convictions were vacated, they're no longer sex offenders. They can do anything that they want, and now they have a ton of money. So do you think that that they would have been exonerated if the Mateus Reyes didn't ever confess? No, no, would never, never have it happened. This guy comes forward by really a religious reason, I think. I think he felt so guilty for what he did. Yeah, he was writing a life sentence anyway. And his DNA matched the crime scene. It matched what was found on the victim in different areas. And so and his description matched up too. What yeah. Happened, yeah. So it seems like it was just this one guy. And when they recap, they recap like what he did. It is yeah. such a horrific crime. Yeah. What happened to her was awful. She yeah. can't. She lost the sense of smell. Yeah. And she had trouble walking. And oh, that was br- brutal to see. Uh, but it was always believed, you, you know, when you look at the crime that one person did it, even though when you ask the detectives today who were part of that or that they still they still believe that it was multiple people who committed that crime. It doesn't make sense. Multiple people doing that to her when it really the evidence pointed to one person. Yeah. Um, um, and then what I found interesting as well is they all got in trouble by trying to cooperate. They all got in trouble for that confession. First of all, if they didn't confess, would they have? Would they have gone to trial? No. You don't think, because they had nothing. They so had, it was all the confession. The confession was everything. Are you surprised the jury found them guilty? Um, so, by the way, it was only one trial a jury trial? Because I didn't see a jury in one, the, fir- in one in the first trial. No, both were jury, both trials, were jury trials, two separate trials. Would a jury find, find them guilty if they didn't have the... No, no. Would it, were you, first, were you surprised that the jury found them guilty based upon the evidence that was presented? Uh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Because it was 1989 and things were at a really weird time? Yeah, and the, the way they were able to separate the recordings so that it didn't seem as coerced, like it's, it, it kind of, at least in the, at least in this miniseries, it had more of a flow to it. Yeah. Like it kind of seemed connected and, you know, you, the, the, the testimony with the, when the prosecutor was questioning her father, like one of, um, one of the kid's father's. Um, and saying like, w- would he ever say something that was untrue? And then he, the, the father said, no. He's a good kid. He would never lie. lie. He's like, okay, then why did he say this on on camera? Why did he confess to what he did? The, but the other thing of it is, don't you think juries are skeptical to believe that someone is going to lie in a confession? For example, do they really? They're sitting there in the jury, and they're gonna think, okay. I've sat through all these confession tapes. These kids are making up all of these well, th- details out of nowhere. I, think, I mean, they're I think, probably skeptical of it. I think coerced confessions weren't as like big of an issue. Like people, no one thought it could re- happen. Re- they didn't like, realize it was as big of an issue back, back you know, then. Now, it's there's probably there's definitely different procedures of like how cops need to interrogate the you know suspects. Um, Is that because of the media? Making a murderer, this, you know, yeah, the more you yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah, the different stories that have come out. Um, they were talking about, for example, like the Reed procedure or something like that. I don't, I don't know what exactly that yeah. is. But th- I guess that's something that's frowned upon now. The, guy, you, the cop was like, I don't even know what the fuck Reed was. Yeah, he goes, I don't know what that is. I was, do- I did what I was told to do. Yeah. Do you think this could happen today? Same thing. There's a riot in Central Park. 
They gather these five boys. You think the same thing could happen in 2019? Does it happen in 2019? I'm sure it can happen in 2019. Does it depend I mean, upon I'm where sure, it I'm is. sure it does happen in 2019. Yeah. I think maybe in New York, the cops may be a little bit more sensitive to it. Um, but I'm sure it happens. You know, a lot, a lot of kids or maybe even not kids, you know, just don't have experience in the, in the system or don't know how to get access to an attorney or don't yeah. know how to have rights to an attorney. And... The, you're listening to somebody with authority and you want to get out of there. You're willing to kind of say whatever. You don't know that certain things are going to incriminate you. Yeah, go back to when you were 14, 15, 16. Did you know what the law is? You're probably thinking if I just say whatever they want to say, they need yeah. something, uh, it'll get me out. I'm going to propose an amendment to the law that, you know, what I think should happen when anybody goes, uh, is taken into custody and, 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 and questioned, or even before they're questioned automatically. I think... You know, if you if you haven't called an attorney already or have retained an attorney, a public defender should automatically be assigned to you and come in into your and, and and join you during during the questioning. It shouldn't be that you have to affirmatively like ask that defender to come in and 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 be there while you're in custody. They 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 should come and then that then the person the, the person can then waive them being there or not. But they should at least come. First. You should have an automatic attorney, and if you want a new your own attorney, then you switch that attorney. Because yeah, the, the yeah, whole point yeah. is, is like you have a right to your attorney. Okay, I'm going to pick who I want. You should have to have a discussion with your attorney first, with an attorney, an attorney first. Right. I mean, it was awful to watch that, and they. What was also startling was that the pro they, it was made to seem that the prosecution knew their case was weak. They knew they didn't have anything against them, and yet they kept going. Yeah. They kept going because it was the political pressure. There was a lot of pressure an at that time. They, 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 that they, happens today too. People wanted answers of, of of who raped you know this 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 young lady. Yeah. Um, and nobody was going to rest until they were able to point the finger at someone. So this DA needed to win. She, these were the this was the first people she saw. I see this countless times in trials that we're covering. The defense says the investigators needed someone to blame. There was a lot of pressure on the office to get someone, and they had a, a narrow focus, and they only focused on this one man, my client. That happens so many times. Here, yeah. that's exactly what happened. I mean, even the process, even the um, letterer says during the trial, she's like, this, this, this trial is not about justice. It's about politics. Yeah. And he's like... Why? <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah. Joshua Josh, Josh Jackson's like, why? He's like, what, what cost? You're yeah. going to send these boys to prison. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was disturbing to see. Yeah. But now they're all doing well. I mean, look, the psychological effects of going to prison and being wrongfully accused are probably still with them. And yeah. there's probably people, again, who still think that they did it. Why? I was looking at the end with, during like the – the credits where they go into where everybody is now. Yeah. Like most of them are living in Georgia. Yeah. So I don't know why. why. Maybe most one of them, of them decided to go to Georgia and then the, the rest of them are like, Oh, we'll go to Georgia. But Corey Wise is here in New York. He goes, this is his roots. This is where he's from. And Corey Wise just bought a $925,000 apartment uh, in Harlem that I think overlooks uh, central park. So there's kind of irony there, isn't there? Yeah. Definitely. Full circle Definitely. for him. But I mean, it's just a horrible situation that as I'm watching it, as I'm watching what they're going through, I'm like, you, you know, it's weird watching something from so many years ago and you know how it ends for them. Yeah. You're like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Like, you're going to be exonerated. You're going to get a ton of money. Your name's going to be cleared. There's going to be a Netflix documentary out for a uh, Netflix documentary. Yeah, I don't know if that was worth them going to prison. And, no, uh, no. You know, especially, I'm telling you, when you watch what happened to Corey in prison was, yeah. 
Especially he he was he wasn't even there. You're just being a nice friend and coming with and, and, and y- accompanying him. He's a friend to Yusuf. Yusuf doesn't even visit him in prison. Yeah, because I, I think their parents wouldn't let him or something. Or maybe felons can't visit. Felons, felons, yeah, felons, yeah. So yeah, he, 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 he would he would have been or communicate it was, it with them. Yeah. yeah, he couldn't. It was too risky for him. So overall, do you, you thought that you think the miniseries did a good job of telling the story? I think. I mean, look, it wasn't. I didn't know anything about it beforehand. I think everybody should watch this. I really yeah. do. Uh, Kamala Harris said that President Trump and everybody should watch it without getting into the politics. I, I think she's right. I think everyone should watch this. This it, is a really good lesson about how much of a nightmare the criminal justice system can be with overzealous prosecutors and, uh, you know, it's just scary. You know who two of the producers on this were? You? No. No. <laughs> Almost. Uh, Robert De Niro and Oprah. Oh. Yeah. What a, what a combination. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. It's a fun fact. You could have been an could've executive been, producer with Robert third. De Niro. Yeah. They would have been like, Robert De Niro, Oprah been. Winfrey, Andrew Icebrook? Yeah. Huh. What's he doing? I here? wonder if the company that I work for is thinking about now, I should have listened to that intern that day. Yeah. <laughs> what was his name? Yeah. Randy? <laughs> Randy. Randy? I just thought he got coffee. Randy Eisenberg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he had that idea. I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, t- watch this miniseries. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to watch. It's, it's tough. It's tough to watch, but definitely worth it. Um, So we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.